Well, good morning to you. Morning. Oh, it's great to be here. Lovely to be back. I'm just going to move this out of the way so that I can get to see you too. And it's so special to have a baby dedication, isn't it? And to see little ones just growing in the, in the ways of the Lord with parents who love them and the church who's dedicated to help them along their way. <clears throat> well, this has been a very exciting series, hasn't it, on dangerous faith that Mark started a while ago. And for those of you who have not been here for dangerous faith, just a little way of recapping. Can you hear me okay? Um, It all started in Acts chapter 19, when the sons of Sceva, who really thought they'd just make it like believers, and they tried to cast a demon out of somebody. And amazingly, the demon spoke to them and said, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? That must have been quite creepy (laughs) for this to have come out. And the story doesn't end there. It actually has a bit of a grisly ending because the demon in that person attacked them and actually left them bleeding, and it says naked, and they ran for their lives. So the lesson in this is don't meddle unless you have authentic faith. And it's so important for us to know what authentic faith is Faith is before we think we can be dangerous. So this has been a very exciting series on dangerous faith. And I've loved the way that different speakers and Mark have given the same basic practical principles of what dangerous faith is. But the outworking of that is very different for each of us. Mark has given such powerful talks with a beautiful anointing from God on these principles. And then a couple of weeks ago, Heather spoke, and I love the way she took Deborah from the Old Testament, the prophetess and the judge, amazing warrior woman of God, who literally marched into battle with Barak and got the victory for God. Now that was one fierce woman. And we think, do you have to be bold and kind of brassy to have dangerous faith? Well, you've got to help by being bold and having courage. But then last week, John Cole spoke in total contrast. And wasn't that beautiful? He spoke about rivers of living water that bubble up inside of us. And he spoke about the drenching of the Holy Spirit and how we are empowered to live the life that God's called us to because of this beautiful rivers of living water that bubble up inside of us. So each time, dangerous faith is the same, but the outworking is different depending on who we are. We are unique, and you don't have to try and copy someone else's dangerous faith because you are unique and you have your own compelling way of living out the dangerous faith. Let's go through the seven points that Mark mentioned before. And these are very gripping. Dangerous faith will cost you. It's um, not going to be there to enrich you. It's not a get-rich scheme. It will cost you. Dangerous faith seeks to serve and to save. And it's all about others, giving yourself to others, not about yourself. Dangerous faith seeks to be somebody who is like Hebrews 11, that you believe without seeing. It's 
seeing the invisible and believing that to be the reality. And this is the one I love. Dangerous faith seeks to bring glory to God. And it's not about our own empires and what we can do for ourselves, but it's his kingdom bringing glory to him. But it does require courage. It does take a lot of courage. It's not just this quick cop-out and easy easy path of least resistance. And then the one that I think is amazing is utterly dependent on God. We can have dangerous faith when we are totally yielded, totally surrendered to God. And then the final one, dangerous faith seeks a better home. Not this one. We're just passing through and we're bound for glory. So in my talk today, I'm going to choose another character from the Bible, a person who lived and walked in this world, who expresses so many of these. And in fact, all of these seven are going to come through the talk. So if you listen carefully, you'll spot them. Because this person is somebody that I relate to so deeply. But again, I want to say, we are all different. So don't think you can copy someone else's dangerous faith. We're all different. I remember in my early years as a believer, I was walking along with a man called Danny, Danny Bossman, and somebody was limping who came to us. And he just said, as simply as anything, you've got a limp, you've got one leg shorter than the other. And this person said, yes, I've always had that. He said, sit down. And right there in front of my eyes, I could see this person had one leg shorter than the other. And he just started to pray. And I mean, there were people going by. It was a shopping center. And the leg started to grow. And I thought, this is amazing. That was dangerous faith right there and then. But I also know people who it takes great courage for them to say, when they've seen somebody battling, could I please pray a blessing on you? So it just depends. As long as you know you are living fully to have dangerous faith, don't start comparing yourself with others. It was just the same in the Bible days. Do you remember? There was this amazing woman. She was actually a woman of the night who strutted into a private dinner party where Simon the leper had invited Jesus. And to everybody's utter amazement, and some were really aghast at this brassy woman from the street walking into the private dinner party, she just fell down at Jesus' feet. And she sobbed and she broke down because she knew she was a sinner. And she wet his feet with her tears and she dried his feet with her hair. And she sobbed. And everybody was twittering, you can imagine. (laughs) This is not done. And Jesus said what she has done is a beautiful thing. He saw straight at her heart. She had bold faith. But then you get someone like Zacchaeus, who was a bit of a short guy. The crowds were following Jesus. He was desperate to see Jesus and to hear him. So he climbed up a tree. Now, I love climbing trees. and Many of you who know me know I do climb trees at any opportunity. So I can relate to Zacchaeus. He was up in the tree, taking a peep to see. And lo and behold, Jesus stopped and turned straight up to him. And I just love it that he said his name, Zacchaeus. (laughs) I see you. And I'm going to come to you today. I want to eat with you, spend time with you, so that you can get to know me face to face. Then there was Nicodemus, who was 
a very well-known and respected religious leader. Remember, he was a member of the um, Sanhedrin. He was also a Pharisee. Nicodemus wanted to know more about what Jesus was teaching. So he came to Jesus by night when he thought no one was watching. It's amazing. And they had an incredible conversation, Jesus with this religious ruler, talking about not just rules, regulations, rituals, but being born of the Spirit, being born again. So I don't know how you've come here this morning. Maybe you have been watching from afar, thinking, who is this Jesus? Maybe you've been up your own proverbial tree, thinking, well, I'll just stay away. I really believe he's saying to you this morning, by name, this was not an accident that you are here. And I want to meet with you face to face. I want you to know me, know my heart, know who I am, so that your life can be changed and transformed. Maybe you like Nicodemus, you know a lot about religion, all the rules, the rituals, the regulations. But Jesus is saying, it's not about that, it's about relationship. Come to me, let me teach you about being born anew of the Spirit. And I want to encourage you that after this service, come to my right, your left, there will be a prayer team and we would so love to pray with you (laughs) to just lead you into deeper things. But now, it's time to get to this person. Maybe you've realized that the person that I'm going to speak about is not a bold figure who stands out immediately as having strong, dangerous faith. But nonetheless, he is. When Mary Magdalene came running back to the disciples and said that Jesus had been risen from the dead, that she'd seen him in the garden, it's extraordinary. John and Peter went rushing to that garden tomb. And John got there first, but he stood at the door of this empty tomb. And I think out of a sense of awe or respect, or just being overwhelmed that it was empty, he just stood. But Peter barged straight in. (laughs) We're all so different. And it's John that I want to talk about. John, who might come across as being quite timid, It's written in the early church history that he was probably the youngest or one of the youngest of the disciples. But he lived to be the oldest. He lived to be about 88 because most of the early church believers say that it was the same John who wrote the gospel, the letters, one, two, three, and the book of Revelation as he was exiled on the island of Patmos. So he had dangerous faith that he was exiled, even as an old man, but that didn't stop him. He just carried on with this powerful, dangerous faith. John, and I just love the way that John, of all the disciples, when he writes his gospel, it's totally different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They gave a genealogy of who begot who begot who and how the baby came to be in a manger. John, it's almost like the book of Genesis, where it says, God created God spoke out of nothing. And he said, let there be light. In John's gospel, he starts with Jesus Christ pre-existing before he came to earth. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he 
as the light. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? John was gripped because he knew that this was the Messiah and all the miracles are called signs of pointing him to the Messiah. This is who Jesus is. And the way that John describes Jesus, 90% of John's gospel is different from the other synoptic gospels. It's amazing. And what I love is the fact, John actually mentions Nicodemus. The other, other gospels don't even mention Nicodemus. But at the end, Nicodemus comes when Jesus is going to be buried. And if you read that again, right at the end, when he's prepared for the burial, Nicodemus is there and he's brought aloe and myrrh. And he hasn't just brought a handful. He has brought 33 kilograms. That's what the equivalent is. It says 100 pounds of Roman weight. 33 kilograms, which is a massive amount. That's Nicodemus' dangerous faith. John picks up these sort of details. It's wonderful. So there's a lot I could say about John, but the one thing I want to say first and foremost is John describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> I think that's so wonderful because he knew he was loved. Now, Jesus loved all the disciples. Jesus loved everybody, but John knew he was loved. And that makes such a difference, doesn't it, when you know you're loved. You've seen little children, and when they know they're loved, there's something different about them, confident. Even if you've got a little puppy or a dog that you know you've loved, a little dog struts around, you know what it is. When you're loved and you know you're loved, woo, it makes a difference. So the first thing I want to say with dangerous faith is when you know his love and you receive his love, then you start to love with his love. You can't give it until you've got it. So the first point is love with bold, fierce love, because that's what he's got for you. Love with his bold, fierce love. Then you will be dangerous. You will. You will have dangerous faith. And it seems amazing, this love of God, which is who he is. He is love. When his love fills us, really fills us, and we know we're loved, and we can start to give love, we will probably find ourselves in all sorts of situations. That's happened to me. I first believed I had an encounter with Jesus when I was 21 years old. And I can say to you honestly, it's taken over 50 years. I'm an older lady. It's taken over 50 years for me to realize that he loves me in my head has actually dropped into my heart. And I know, I know that he loves me. We feel so unworthy, don't we? We just feel that we've messed up so often. We just keep doing the wrong things. But when you know that you loved, and so I can say to you that I am still learning more, but I am really knowing more now than all those years ago that I am loved. And so it's landed me in some amazing places. I worked for a big international IT company, one of the top corporates in the world. And I was the lead on the sustainable development project for Johannesburg and the World Summit. And I thought I could ask people about what it is like to put computers into remote communities, or I could actually go. And I had such a love when I went to these people in the most remote 
poor villages. We call them the poorest of the poor villages, the least developed villages. But I just wanted to live there and understand what they were grappling with. So I actually stayed in a tribal village in a little hut. I didn't have a toilet. We had to get clean water. But it taught me what it was to love the people. And you know there were so many believers in that little village. <laughs> They're still on my Facebook. So if you see some of my friends, it's, it's wonderful. They are like family to me. And some years ago, I find myself up in the Himalayas near Gongotri, the source of the Ganges, again doing development projects on the border of Tibet and Nepal in a very dangerous area, which you can only get to on foot. And my friends used to think, but why are you doing all these crazy things? But the love of God compels you. When you have experienced his love and you see that people for no reason of their own are in desperate situations, you just are compelled to go and share the good news and also to be practical with clean water and food gardens and so on. And I've just been in Uganda a week ago and I know some of them are watching this. I love, I love you because you are my family. And I want to say that when you know the love of God, when you really experience it, you will have bold, fierce love. You will go to places or you will pray for people who can go to places if you can't. But that is the expression of his love and it's unstoppable. And that makes you dangerous. Do you believe it? Yes. <laughs> so, so, what I do want to say, what I do want to say is you don't have to go to some far-flung place because maybe your spouse or maybe your boss or maybe one of your family is a challenge. And maybe it's not just the people who live in these remote places who are not loved and not cared for that need to be told and shown the love of God. Maybe it's somebody very near and dear to you. And maybe that is your calling, to just love the unlovely. Maybe you feel that you've been hurt or wronged or you are disappointed. Maybe something's happened that somebody's not been honest and it's come to light and you've had to really grapple with something very, very serious and difficult for you. And what I want to say to you here and you online, God's love never fails. God's love never fails. Our own reaction would be anger, bitterness, resentment. But God's love says, love the unlovely. And that's what John is all about. And so, of course, we have to look at John 3, 16, don't we? <laughs> that is probably the best loved, best known verse of all scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I just love that because so many people are almost like the walking dead. It's not that you perish in time to come but you don't have abundant life now. <laughs> and so if you receive him and believe in him, you can have abundant life now. And eternal life is a quality of life that begins in the here and the now. It's beautiful. A story is told of a little old lady, um, and I actually believe this, who went to Billy Graham and said, 
Billy Graham, you know, you're always preaching on John 3.16. John 3.16. Don't you have another message in you? And Billy Graham says, and he was a tall man, leant down and said, certainly, ma'am. But do you know that God so loved the world that he gave his And I can imagine him saying, here we go again. But <laughs> that's a true story, actually. I was... I was privileged to meet Billy Graham and he told me, so it is true. So, but I love that because he told it against himself. That is the truth. When you are gripped by John 3.16, you know it. But it's not just the gospel. In 1 John 4, um, there's also this amazing, and I just say in the amplified version, it says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He took the initiative and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And maybe you've never understood the cross, but something cosmic happened there. He took on himself everything that stops you and me from having this abundant life. He took it. And that's what this is all about. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And I just believe that if you have battled to love somebody in your life, just yield yourself, that total surrender. Seek to serve and to save and ask the Lord to fill you with his love, which is supernatural, and that you'll be able to walk in love and love the unlovely. It's amazing the transformation that happens. So that's the first one. The others will move a little bit quicker, but love is so important, and that's John. Secondly, live in oneness with him. If we are going to have dangerous faith, we learn from John all about love, but we also learn from John, live in oneness, in an intimate relationship with Jesus. And of course, I'm referring to John 15 and the vine, abiding in the vine. Just a couple of verses, John 15 verse one, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. What a story. You know, in John's gospel, there are no parables, but there are these discourses, which are amazing, of Jesus just opening his heart, especially right at the end before he went to the cross and he knew he was going to die. He just opens his heart and reveals deep truths to these ones around him. And here he's telling them the essence of life in him. And this is dangerous faith. I am the true vine, my father's the gardener. Verse four, remain in me and I also remain in you. Let me live in you. Let me dwell in you. Let me have my being in you and you in me. I love that. This is radical stuff. It's not as if it's the prophet teaching the way. It's not as if it's the rabbi who's telling you what to do. Here he's saying, live in me. Let me live in you. And we know later as he reveals through the Holy Spirit, this oneness, this fusion of your life in his, of my life in his, and him in us, indwelling us, is what makes us Christians, set apart ones for him. And that's the essence of it. And again, he says in verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is what I was saying 
these seven points that Mark raised, you can see these are all coming through. We want God's way. We want to be utterly dependent on him. We're not going to be asking for crazy things. We're going to be asking in alignment of his way, and it will be done for us. But it's all about the vine. And when we abide in him and he in us, we will bear much fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This oneness will produce much fruit, and that fruit nourishes. It's not plastic, fake fruit that you can put through the washing machine and it bounces out the same way. It's real nourishing fruit for a desperate world. John knew this intimacy of relationship. It wasn't just religion and rules, intimacy of relationship. Remember at the Last Supper, everybody was in a bit of a tiz because Jesus said, someone will betray me. And they were saying, who, what? But John was reclining with his head against the chest of Jesus. And Jesus just had to tilt his head down and whisper because John's ear was right there waiting to hear. And Jesus said, the one who dips his bread into the earth. John heard and he wrote about it. Nobody else did here. It's extraordinary. When we have an intimate relationship with Jesus, he'll whisper things to you. He'll drop things into your heart. He'll tell you his heart. And we sing that. We pray that. Show me your heart. Let me lead, be led by your love. This is how it happens. This oneness, this intimacy, this closeness. That's what John experienced. I want to be so close to Jesus. I want to be there and feel his breath on my cheek. I want to hear his whisper. 1 John 4, 4 should be one of our key verses. And this is if we're having dangerous faith and we are living in oneness and intimacy with the Lord. Remember this. He who is in you, who lives in you, is greater than he who is in the world. That's so important because when we are called to do dangerous things, know that the greater one indwells you. I'm still learning that. I still get very intimidated when people have a go at me. And I just have to say, Lord, help me not to be intimidated if somebody is very aggressive to me. The greater one indwells me. And then it just changes. Something shifts when you get that realization, the greater one enjoy, indwells me. So that's living in his love, expressing his love, and then living in oneness with him, in an intimate, beautiful relationship with him. And the third one, are you ready for this? This is one that is very close to my heart. Overflow with his joy. Then you will be really dangerous. <laughs> It's amazing, in John 15, verse 11, and it's in many places in John. I have told you this, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy will be complete, full to overflowing. <laughs> it's just amazing. His joy in us, full to overflowing. So often the paintings of Jesus are on the cross or teaching or with someone. We very seldom see Jesus full of joy. But the gospel is so full of the joy 
of Jesus. And there is that strength that comes when we are living in the joy of the Lord. And what I love is that it's a hallmark of who Jesus is. Joy. It's not just in John 15, it's in John 16. Let's look at verse 24. Jesus says, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete, full to overflowing. There it is again. We ask, filled with him, we want his ways. And that is because he wants his joy in us to be complete and fulfilled. Isn't that beautiful? Well, there's another one, John chapter 17. Are you getting the message? Yeah. <laughs> full of joy. Jesus says, 17 verse 13, but I am coming to you now, he says to the Father, and I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they, that's us, may have the full measure of my joy within them. If you're sitting there and you've not had the joy of the Lord in you, you've been swamped by circumstances, by things around you that have happened, I just want to encourage you, yield yourself. Totally depend on him. This is who he is. He brings joy. When you fix your eyes on him and cling to him, you will start to experience his joy. The people who know me, my husband is here, and friends, and there's so many, they know that I've had this amazing set of circumstances in my life over the years in some of the darkest, darkest times of my life when I've had to grapple with wretched things happening around and a lot of suffering. We didn't have to go into all of that, but I've had to just yield myself to him and cry out to him in the dark, but I just trust him. And then something amazing happens, and this has happened repeatedly. I start to like a little chuckle and a giggle, and then the giggle just becomes a little bit of a laughter. And many times I've tried to put my face in the pillow to stop, and it just gets more and more bubbling until it actually is full-blown laughter just by myself. And I think if anybody looks in the window and thinks this little old lady just <laughs> laughing... <laughs> Yeah, well, take me away. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but truly, I have rocked and heaved with laughter. And I say that with all sincerity, so much laughter that my ribs ache and the tissues are full and the tears are flown. The joy of the Lord is healing. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm not the only one. I've talked discreetly with people before, now I'm going public, but I have talked discreetly with people and they say, well, that's happened to them too. And it's wonderful. His joy, his joy. Let's be free to receive his joy and to express his joy. Then, dear ones, we are going to be mighty dangerous. We really will. And this is the last one now that I'm closing off with and with the band get ready to come up. The fourth one, speak his words. Speak his words. Do you know how this amazing dear man, John, 88, exiled on the island of Patmos, unstoppable in his faith, writes in the book of Revelation 1, verse 1, 
the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So my prayer is that we speak his words, that we know his words, that they are so embedded in us that the first reaction we get, because I always say it's the toothpaste test. You know that, I've said it before. When you have a tube of toothpaste, you squeeze that. If you're under pressure, what's inside? (laughs) Squirts out. So if you have the word of God really embedded in you, when you are under the biggest pressure, what comes out is not some unrepeatable word, (laughs) but it truly is God's reaction to it because that's what you have been feeding yourself with. Speak his word, believe his word, live his word, pray his word. My connect group ladies know that when we pray, I find a passage in scripture that's that person's situation and I pray that out because that has got power. Isaiah 55 said, as the rain and the snow come down, they don't return until they bring forth this little seed to sprout and then there will be harvest. So shall every word be that comes out of my mouth. It won't return empty. So speak his word, pray his word, sing his word, because there is power in that word. When Moses was at the burning bush, and we referred to that with this lovely baby dedication, and God appeared to him and spoke to him, Moses said, what is your name? And God said, it is I am And the Jews had these letters, Y-H-W-H. They were in such fear of God. They didn't even speak the name Yahweh. We added the vowels later. But that was his name, I am, because he pulsates with life. He is the living God. And how wonderful that in John's gospel, John completes that through Jesus, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the gate and the one I just love. I am the resurrection and the life. And he was saying that to Martha at a tomb of her dead brother who'd been in there for four days and she was worried about the odour. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And as we close now, I want you just where you're sitting. If you feel you're standing at the edge of something dead and buried in a tomb that has really been painful to you, maybe there's a stench, maybe there's an odor of shame, maybe there's a part of you that just feels it's hopeless. I'm beyond hope. I want you to know that today, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, it will be possible. That's what he said to Martha. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. He can bring to life, quickened life, the most hopeless situation. 
And so, Lord, as we come at the end of this time, we thank you that we don't have to go out and try to prove ourselves like those sons of Sceva and come across as dangerous, but that we can yield to you. We can seek your glory. We know we have a better home, as John was talking about in the Isle of Patmos. We can look to you with yieldedness and know that we can love with your fierce, bold love. We can live in oneness with you. We can overflow with your joy. We can speak your words, not just the scriptures, but prophetic words, life-giving words that you drop into our ears as we wait and listen. Help us to go forth from here with dangerous faith in action in our own unique way, all for your glory. Amen.